The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives to provide balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Monster Hunter and Claw Grip of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who uses a claw grip for everything. Josh, how are you doing this evening? Nice save. Uh, <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, claw grip, not my grip of choice. Oh, Are you familiar good ba- with Batman the claw grip? Maneuver. Yeah, well, I, I'm familiar with a different, two different versions of a claw grip. There's a martial art claw grip, and then there's a utility Batman utility belt claw grip. <laughs> but apparently not familiar with playing Monster Hunter on the PSP and needing to use the claw grip. No, but I can imagine they probably shoehorned it into the movie. <laughs> Oh, that'd be really funny if they did. <laughs> Josh, they speaking did. of movies. Yeah. Um, so this last week after you and I recorded Board With Everything, hmm. we made some recommendations to one another. And in fact, gave each other homework, yes. which is now going to translate into something we're going to talk about later in this episode. Uh-huh. And you gave me two movies to pick from, and I gave you two things to pick from. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about the stuff I recommended for you p- probably later. It looks like it, yeah. <laughs> but Josh. <laughs> yeah. I have some thoughts on the killing of a sacred deer. Good. That, that, if this episode is short enough, we might do a little special after dark type thing oh, where nice. we talk about that movie. <laughs> In detail. Because uh, I have some thoughts. <laughs> but the big first thing I want to say is, for a long time, I was like, why does, once you recommend it, I'm like, why, why is this movie ringing a bell for me? Why is this a movie I know I've heard of and I know I've heard about, but I can't quite place why I've heard of this movie. And then I started watching the movie and it came to me. And do you know why I remember this movie? No. So in you were this in movie, it. You've I seen was it not before. in this movie. <laughs> no, I was not in this movie. But there's somebody in this movie who I recognized from their other work. Mm. And that is... Sonny Suljic, who plays Bob Murphy, is Atreus in God of War 2018. Oh. Yes. And I distinctly remember Boy. in... Yeah, right? <laughs> in the making of God of War um, documentary, there's the part where they're talking about... They're like, oh, you're in that big movie now with uh, Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. You're not going to forget about us, right? And this is the movie they were talking about. So yeah, so Sonny does all the motion capture and voice acting for Atreus. Whoa, I did not know that. Yeah, so that I was like, why have I seen this kid before? I know him from something. Is identical to yeah, the same same face. Now I totally see it. (laughs) So anyway, so if you want to, you know, kind of have the movie world and the video game world smash into one place, go ahead and watch the Killing of a Sacred Deer. 
Well, well, <laughs> I don't know if that's the <laughs> greatest said recommendation. Maybe go watch Killing of <laughs> Sacred Deer. <laughs> Uh, and then listen to our conversation about it later if we have some time. But because uh, I have thoughts, Josh, I have a lot of thoughts about this movie. It's, it was, it's but uh, outside of that, <laughs> how how have things been? How was your weekend? Oh, it's been fine. Nothing special. We're gearing up for a big old nor'easter here, and it's one of those starts in the morning storm and then doesn't stop until the next afternoon storm, which means. I have to make four trips to and from work and in conditions that I probably shouldn't be driving in. So I, I always get a little uh, anxious about stuff like that because we live in a very hilly area to and from work. I have to go in in the, in the height of the storm and also leave at the height of the storm because it's that long of a storm and then go back at the tail of the storm and potentially back home if it's still going. So who knows? So, I know you don't live that far from your work, correct? Yeah, correct. And not saying that you should have to go into work still, but I mean, do sometimes people be like, I just can't get there? It's very rare um, because you're expe- it's like part of like your job expectation is you have to be there for snow storms. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely circumstances where you can't get there. And then you just have to take a sick day, but you know, it's not looked, it's also looked upon as you leaving your coworkers high and dry if you do that because right. they have to pick up your slack when you're not there. It just seems that forcing people to go out in unsafe conditions doesn't seem like the best yeah. plan. Yeah, it's not. And, <laughs> you know, it's as an employee, it's easy to think it's silly that they make us go in during the storm. Right. We can just go when it's over. But I under, like as much as I don't like it, I understand as a business why you still do that. But uh, I've definitely worked places before where they tell you not to come in because mm-hmm. they're closed uh, mm-hmm. and they don't want you to get hurt in a car accident. <laughs> Absolutely, this is and, not that job. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I guess I'm fortunate that I have you know, always worked on college campuses. Uh, most of those that had housing, and often we would, uh, when I worked in housing, especially we would provide housing for staff. That were emergency yeah. response people, so that way, like both dining staff and house and ground staff uh, would have a place to come and sleep if they needed to, so they wouldn't have to drive home and they wouldn't have to do all of those things. Uh, but when I worked at a community college, our person who was in charge of grounds, he actually had a cot in his office, <laughs> and anytime there was going to be a snowstorm, he would just sleep in his office. Oh, and I always felt awesome. so <laughs> bad for him. Yeah, that's not good. Uh, yeah, and I always and and no one asked him to. No one made him do it. He yeah. just that was his work ethic, and he was you know someone who had been there for a really long time, kind of you know an old timer, and that was just his like no, this is my responsibility, so this is what I'm going to do. And I always felt so bad. I was like, and the thing about work where I worked, we canceled school all the time because of weather. Yeah. So it was like it's really not that big of a deal. Like you could come when it's done and clean it up because we're probably not going to be allowed to come to campus anyway. Like it's going to be okay. We're also insult to injury. We're also a hundred percent at home learning right now. So there's no students in the building anyways. (laughs) They're making us go in so the teachers can choose to come in or not if they want to. Right. Because they have the choice to go in and teach from their classrooms. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to get there. There's not going to be a single soul there, but we will have had to, uh, 10 of us will have had to driven there. 
risk our safety there and back home to come back the next day and continue cleaning it up. And it realistically potentially <laughs> cause problems for snow removal crews on your way to and from work because yeah. you're on the roads when they're trying to remove snow. Snow at your house is probably not getting taken care of because you're not there to help nope, take care of it. it you know? up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that stuff is so rough. Yep. It's so rough. Yeah. It's tough. You, but... just, you should just be like that one dude who was making the runs on social media not that long ago who was uh, snow blowing his driveway with a uh, flamethrower. <laughs> flamethrower. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just take that into work. Just start I, some I watched that guy do that for a little while. He wasn't getting a lot of progress made. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Awesome. All right, Josh. Well, hey, let's get to it. Thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. As always, if you have any feedback, questions, or suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all the awesome stuff over on the Instagram, also Board with VG. We're a proud part of Play Some Video Games, and PSVG is on Patreon. We are thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far, and if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG, but the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our show with someone who you think would enjoy it. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network, so if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that's right for you. Josh, kicking it over to you for your first topic this week. Hey, yeah, yeah. So I thought I thought we I would do or we could do uh, another uh, gaming roundup, just like kind of like let people know what we've been playing. And I was like, I, I'm not going to write down any games I've been playing. I'll remember like what I've been playing, and there must be enough to talk about, right? <laughs> and now I'm like, what am I playing? What am I playing? Um, <laughs> I I want. I think I'll start with um, Luna. I guess I got Amazon Luna. Uh, or Amazon's Luna, their cloud streaming service. I also got the controller. Um, it's a service that is in beta right now, so you can't just kind of go subscribe to it. Um, but uh, so I don't want to comment on like what the subscription price is because I, th- I guess it could potentially change from what I'm paying for it. Uh, it does offer Ubisoft Plus. Uh, the controller is nice. It's a little smaller than the Stadia or Xbox controller, so it's probably closer to the Switch Pro controller. Um, and when I first got it, I tried it. You can use it on Fire uh, Sticks or Cubes, like any like Fire TV device. You can just download the app on the device. And uh, the cool thing about the controller, is just like Stadia, it uses can either be Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. But if you're on, if you set it up to Wi-Fi, uh, as long as the app you're using is on your Wi-Fi in your house, all you really have to do is turn on the controller and automatically connects to whatever uh, the interface. So uh, the first time I did try it was the morning after I got it and I literally woke up and propped myself up in bed with my pillows, turned on my TV and and turn the controller on and I was able to play games right away. Um, so my experience with that was I started with the mummy remastered, which is like a eight bit side scroller shooter based. It was based on the mummy film, the Tom Cruise one, but, uh, it's, it feels more similar to like a metal slug game. If people have played metal slug before, um, it has a little bit of Metroidvania in it. Like if you die, you just come back. But 
The first thing I noticed was uh, audio delay right away, probably like a millisecond, but enough that you heard your bullet fire before you saw it fire. So it was a little frustrating, but I was able to play the game with no issues. Then I figured I would boot up a harder, like, running, a harder running game, a more um, resource sucker of a game i can't yeah, I speak you. today i don't, I don't know what it is um yeah so control i ran control on it and uh control did not run very well uh, at all uh there's a control lag and audio <laughs> lag excellent so good start yay betas yeah so i didn't know i was i was wondering if it was me getting used to that controller or not um so I decided I would try to get in. I played another game. There was a, a generic shooter I saw in there just to see how a shooter handled. That handled much better, but it was not a high-quality shooter. It's more like a Steam game shooter that you probably haven't heard of, but, you know, does its job. So I kind of put it away from for then, and then I, I did pick it up um, again. Uh, we'll say it was on my lunch break at work, and I connected it to my phone via the Wi-Fi there, and uh, I I did, where did I try? I tried Control, I tried a couple other games, uh, and they all ran perfectly. It was great. Seamless, no audio lag, Control felt much better, literally Control felt much better, and uh, audio sounded really good, although I was using my phone audio. It's, you know, it's hard to play those games on a small screen, though, so... Um, I think where I'm ultimately landing on these cloud service game thingies, um, if I could do, like, my idea for this was to be able to, like, relax in bed and play a game before going to bed or when I get up if I wanted to. And it still doesn't seem like that's going to be the solution for me. However, yesterday I did increase my uh, internet speed so i will try again uh once the new modem arrives and see if it does work better with the wi-fi um but it just seems like it's just not for me but i definitely understand the appeal for people but like i was talking to someone in our discord like uh they're like it's better hardwired and i said i'm sure it is but i have my xbox my ps5 and my pc all hardwired i don't need another hardwired console like that's not the purpose of me having one um, it's more for on the go. Now, if I was still traveling like I used to, this would be great in a hotel with Wi-Fi. I mean, would it be great on hotel Wi-Fi? Yeah, if your phone and the controller are on the Wi-Fi. Okay. I just don't know that hotel Wi-Fi has always been that excellent. Seems yeah. like hotel Wi-Fi <laughs> That's is <true. laughs> way behind where it really should be if you actually yeah. think about it. If it was good hotel Wi-Fi. That's a good point. Not that, but asterisk on that. If it was good hotel Wi-Fi. Um, so that's it for Luna. I, I'm still chugging away at Xenoblade Chronicles. I haven't picked it back up um, in like maybe like a week or two, but I think I only have one chapter left until I complete it. Dang! Yeah. Um, really enjoying it. Uh, I'm not loving... I don't know. I'm not so invested in the story like probably a lot of people are in that game, but the story's fine. Uh, I'm enjoying the combat, though, and I'm also one of those people I'm realizing I never change the core party members, and it's probably to my detriment, but I just feel 
guilty. Is that the right word for changing out the original characters? You've been with me this whole time. Exactly. I don't want to change you out now. <laughs> yeah. I don't want you to feel bad about not being part of the party. So I always look at my other party members. I just make sure to equip them in case I run into a Final Fantasy situation where they separate the team. And you're like, oh no, I haven't equipped this person with anything. Uh, so yeah, that's fun. Still spending a lot of time in menus as you do. Um, and then I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast, but, um, uh, Torchlight 3 came to Game Pass and it was a series I had never played. Um, I know, I know, I don't even know if it's like beloved. I just know that it's talked about and there's three of them. So it must be good enough. So I figured I would give it a shot. Uh, I had no idea that it's basically, um, like a, a Diablo clone, but like skinned with like Warcraft, more like World of Warcraft skinned, like or Hearthstone even, more like bubbly and cutesy. And you do have it's funny because I was like, oh, you get animals to go along with you, but they just you have those in Diablo too, but they're just minions, not not companions. So like, it's different enough where I was not even thinking they were the same thing for hours. <laughs> Uh, I had a lot, I have, have been having a lot of fun with that game. That's a super easy recommendation if people have Game Pass, and I'm sure it's even better. Co-op, I'm just playing solo uh, through the campaign, but uh, having a lot of fun doing it. It's not, it's not hard, you know, um, but also a lot of the first things they make you do are called like tutorial levels. So I think that they just do it so you get familiar with the game before they kind of throw you into it. Uh, which makes me feel good about it, but there's a lot of content in that game. Um, yes, yeah. Go I was ahead. gonna say so. Uh, I, from what I understand, pretty universally, T- Torchlight Three is looked at as the worst one. Really? Yeah, Torchlight One. Well, because here's the interesting. Well, I find it be interesting thing. I say that all the darn time. <laughs> uh, Torchlight One and Two were both made by Runic Games, who yeah. then went on to make Hob. And then got dissolved and shut down. So Torchlight 3 is actually made by a different developer from the first two games. Okay. And Torchlight 1 and 2, I know, are well-loved. And I I think pretty universally, Torchlight 3 is looked at as the bad one, oh, if you would. okay. Not saying it's still not a, a, a good game in and of itself. Uh, but I do know that, in general, uh, people say Torchlight 1 and 2 are the better of the two game, of the games in the Torchlight series. So, Well, maybe I'll play that series backwards then, because <laughs> I, I really <laughs> like this one so far. Um, yeah, I started Medium. Uh, thank you also, Game Pass. It is less, so far, it's less Silent Hill than I anticipated, except for Atmosphere. And it's more... Um, and this isn't a bad thing. Uh, it's just not what I was expecting. It's more adventure game, like Escape from Monkey Island. You're like search. <laughs> you're like searching for interactable objects in the rooms. It's okay. not. It's not quite point and click, but it might. It could. It could easily be point and click. I'm not, and I know that sounds like a slam. It's not. It's just. Um, I was expecting more Silent Hill. Uh guns uh more spooky stuff and i'm sure the game gets spookier um and i'm not and i'm enjoying it i should say that because <laughs> it doesn't sound like it when I, when I talk about it i'm enjoying it. it just it's not what i was expecting in the game but i also hadn't watched really any trailers or watched any gameplay because i kind of just wanted to jump into it the other world events i i guess i i can call them events 
they're pretty cool. I like the way that that it works. Um, but ultimately, it's always puzzle, right? It's just puzzly. Uh, so that's me. I have to fight a little bit. It's like Resident Evil without combat. So all puzzles so far. I don't know if I'm going to get a gun. I don't think I, I don't have any. There's no sign that I am a gun wielder from the start of this game. Mm. Like character wise. I, I right. can't picture with a weapon. Have you played Bluebird Team's other games? Uh, you would have to tell Blair me. Blair Witch. You know, I did. I skipped Blair Witch because I was just hearing horrible things. Mainly from uh, our Discord. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because they they are also I think layers of fear was Bloober team. Oh, that tracks. Okay, that makes more sense then. Yeah, I can see put, it. And I think the observer was them as well, oh, if I recall. Okay, so that so this is a third person version of those games. Okay. Okay. I mean, have you put have you played many of their other games? Or have you played any of those other? I played layers of fear. I played the observer. Um, you know, not not you know for a couple hours each, not like. Not completion. Um, but no, that makes sense. Uh, like I said, it sounds like I'm slamming on the game. I'm not. I like it. I'm just, I'm shocked at how much different I anticipated it being uh, compared to what it is. So once I can wrap my brain around the differences, I, I'm sure I will continue to enjoy it. I'm just not Excellent. waiting. I'm just not waiting and expecting me to find like a machete or a 45 in a lockbox somewhere. Uh as, you, you As I drop my face. microphone on myself, no big deal. Totally uh, that's fine. funny. Oh, uh, boy. Um, <laughs> Was that you in the spirit realm pushing I my microphone it. onto me? Is that what happened right <laughs> If there? mine goes next, we'll know something's going on. I'm trying to think. That there was something else I wanted to talk about. I did watch. So I've been getting on this. I don't know if you know who Funhouse is, the, the YouTube company. But I've been getting on this kick but watching old Funhouse Let's Plays because I really like a lot of the their personalities that they have on their team. And I just watched one where they played um, um, Star Wars Fight Squadrons and there was, uh, there was four, five of them on a team, a full squad, and they were just as bad as we were. I felt so much oh, better. They were like, how are they killing us? Where are they coming from? I felt so much better about our experience playing that game <laughs> oh, did uh, you hear the rumor that there's a, another really small ea star wars game coming this year really yeah there's a rumor out there now granted this could i this this is one of those rumors that it could just be someone on the internet saying it and people are like there's a rumor that so take it with a grain of salt obviously but yeah uh apparently there's a going to be a like shooter first person shooter third person shooter really small star wars game coming from ea so this year. they're gonna put out another m- micro campaign from battlefield Battlefront. i, I think so yeah like yeah that's kind of what it sounds Great. like but they, <laughs> they were trying to get more it sounds like they were trying to get more games out by the end of their exclusivity deal uh so supposedly this is one of those games but we'll see either way there's enough games this year so i'm not really have my heart set on that by any means but yeah nothing you know nothing bad came out of rushing a game out uh <laughs> they always come out great uh, <laughs> i played i did speaking of game pass i also played desperados 3 on the pc uh which is a game that is not for me <laughs> it is uh if you play like shadow tactics or um it's 
I you can't really call it. It's not quite turn based. It's not quite wasteland three. Um, but it's not quite RTS. Uh, the controls uh, I found to be at least with the mouse and keyboard pretty terrible as far as I mean you manipulate the map and move around. Uh, but it looks really good. Mm, the voice acting is good. Uh, so I played that. Um, and I, I'll end it on Disco Elysium, which I did start on PC. And uh, what can I say about it? It is not quite what I expected. Uh, I think what I was hearing was this was more in line with like Wasteland 3 or Mutant Year Zero. Um, and it is uh, a crazy, weird, unique experience of a game. Uh, you can pick a, a, out of three pre-selected character models or you can create your own. It really leans more into the RPG elements um, than you would in like a Gears Tactics. But what you're picking, and I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but where you're picking for your like traits and stuff are much different than you would see in a traditional like tactics RPG style game. And once you do start playing, uh, I'm trying to think of a. Uh, I want to say you kind of talk to the voices in your head without necessarily always doing it, but you you have like your inner dialogue that you hear a lot. And it starts off as like almost like a pointy clicky kind of thing. Like you're picking up things to equip it and you're exploring. And, you know, it goes on from there, but you start by investigating a murder. I can say that without spoiling anything really. Um, but it kind of sets you off on this path of uh, adventure ex- exploration. But you lose hit points if you uh, kind of even approach a situation wrong, like your morale takes a hit and you lose health from like being insulted or offended or doing it to someone else. It's very weird and interesting. Um, but I can see why it got a lot of buzz because it's it's extremely unique and fun and I'm looking forward to spending a lot more time with it. But um, I did die in my first playthrough relatively quickly because... I made some poor choices, but I never really, I didn't get hit once. Mm. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So Josh, you just talked about a lot of games that you've been playing. I guess. How many of those <laughs> games do you intend to continue playing? So I'll keep playing Disco Elysium. I'll keep playing The Medium. I'll keep playing Torchlight 3. I will finish Xenoblade Chronicles. And I'm like, there's still more games on Luna I want to play. But I have a, like a real backlog of next-gen games that I do want to play. Uh, not to mention we have at least two games coming to PlayStation for free, quote-unquote, this month that I will want to be playing as well. Destruction All-Stars and Control Ultimate Edition. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was pretty stoked that Control Ultimate Edition is coming to PS5. Because yeah. I was really bummed. I almost buy it uh, every week, so I'm glad it's coming. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, and I'm wondering if it's going to have its own trophy list. I hope it does, because I wouldn't mind planning on that. Again, uh, okay. No, no, that's good to know. That's good to know. Uh, I will say really briefly, I've heard that the Mummy Demastered actually is a really good game, though. Yes, I've heard it's very good as well. Okay. Uh, Josh, it might not surprise you to know, I'm only, only playing kind of two video games right now. One being, uh, I went back and started playing a little bit of Call of Duty multiplayer. Okay. Which I hadn't done in a while. Apparently, everyone uses LMGs now. 
Who knew? <laughs> like that never happens in a Call of Duty game, but that's apparently the hot thing right now. So that was interesting. That's all I have to say about that. That was an interesting thing to observe. The other game is that I have been playing uh, is Immortals Phoenix Rising. I am to the end. Nice. I got the I got the message of like, hey, this is it. No turning back if you go on from here. Uh, but apparently there's like no new game plus and you, I think, can't load back into the world after you beat the game. Oh, no. it, it tells you that it is going to create a separate new save file that happens right at the, before the last part. So I think to like go clean up trophies, if I decide I want to do that, I like literally would play through the game, but then it would like, I'd have to load a save from like right before the end of the game. Which is a little annoying. And granted, I always create multiple saves along the way anyway. So it's not like I don't have one. Yeah. But I had already created it anyway. Uh, but I just I was like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, and farm a few potions and things like that just so I have them all stocked up so I can jump in and, and, and go fight Typhon at the very end of the game. Hmm. So hopefully, maybe even tonight, depending on how things go, I'm going to see if I can finish that game up and then uh, probably move on to Hitman February like I was planning. So. Nice. I did forget to mention I'm playing Hitman 3 also. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Anything else about uh, recent games, Josh? Uh, hey, look at us in February almost talking about all these games when we thought there was going to be nothing to play. <laughs> I know. Look at this. Okay, Josh. So my first story this week, Steamforge Games has given us a first look at the Monster Hunter World board game and pledge levels for the up coming kickstarter now if this board game company steamforge games sounds familiar video game listeners <laughs> it's because this is the same company that has done like the horizon zero dawn board game and the devil may cry board game and the resident evil 2 board game so they definitely have their hands in creating these very large uh epic if you would board games based on licenses that were previously video game licenses so that's not all they do. They definitely do their own stuff as well. They definitely have their own IP that they do. Um, but for the most part, they've done a lot of times. I think they're the ones who did Nino Kuni 2. I think they did Dark Souls card game as well. Like they've done a lot of things um, as far as board games and video games crossovers go. But like I said, they graced us with the first look at this Monster Hunter World board game that's going to be hitting Kickstarter in April. So this is. A little unusual to get this preview this much ahead of time, but it's a nice, you know, look at deep dive into all the different pledge levels that are going to exist. So we're just going to walk through those briefly and then talk about our feelings. First is the entry pledge, which gets you four extra large monsters, four hunters, 600 cards, one double-sided board, a rule book, and a quest book, all for 70 US dollars, though it doesn't say, I don't believe, if it includes shipping. So I'm going to assume mm. it doesn't. Um, and if you know anything about uh, Steve Forge games, the boxes are big. So <laughs> you could add a lot as far as shipping goes. Uh, so next <laughs> then is the core pledge. So this seems like the one they actually really kind of want you to get. I think the entry pledge is to try to keep the price down or seem reasonable. Yeah. I think the core pledge, though, since it's called the core pledge, is really probably where they like everyone to be at or higher. Uh, the core pledge comes with one large monster, seven extra large monsters, one double extra large monster, eight hunters, 1,200 plus cards, two double-sided boards, two rule books, two quest books, and all the unlocks that happen throughout the campaign, $140. Again, 
probably not including shipping. <laughs> and then finally is the all-in pledge with one large monster, seven extra large monsters, three extra extra large monsters, and one extra 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 large monster, 12 hunters, 1,800 cards, two double-sided boards, eight rule books slash quest books. So I guess we're just pushing them all together for this one. <laughs> Plus all the unlocks set you back only $279. You could almost buy an Xbox One S for that price. Probably with shipping, you could. <sighs> so Josh, coming in April 2021, yeah. obviously these things can change. But here's my first question for you, Josh. They have large monsters, extra large, double extra large, and triple extra large. Why not just small, medium, large, and extra large? Like, seriously. Sounds cooler. Why do we have to go extra, (laughs) extra, extra large monsters, Josh? It sounds cooler, because then you'd have to do for the people extra, extra, extra small. (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) Uh, But are you interested in this? What do you think on pricing? What are your thoughts about this uh, Monster Hunter World Board game? Well, I will say, at least for pricing, I'm surprised it's this low. (laughs) It's cheaper than... Horizon Zero Dawn's Kickstarter was. Uh, I expected it to be much more expensive uh, to like the Dark Souls level. Dark Souls was like this price range, if not higher. Um, actually, I could probably tell you what Dark Souls is because you can just look at all of their games. Because, um, the yeah, the base Dark Souls is $120, the base game. Yeah, and the base Horizon is 100 bucks. Yeah. So, uh, am I interested? No, uh, I just never got into the Monster Hunter games, and uh, I am eyeing my local FLGS does have Horizon Zero Dawn the board game. So, uh, I'm I'm considering making a collection purchase because I know it won't get played, <laughs> but I'm okay with that. I think because it's seventy dollars there, not a hundred. Um, yeah. Uh, it's good pricing, I think, for what you get. Although, I guess I would argue the 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 entry pledge is very is minimal. I don't think you get your bang for your buck on the entry pledge, but I think you do the if the, the core pledge. I know it's twice the price, um, but I think you're getting you're getting much more uh, content in those. Uh, and yeah, and the all in pledge is very good too. You get a lot a lot of content. I mean. I see people get these games shipped and they get they open these boxes and they just stack them and then three days later they're on Facebook Marketplace selling them. So I don't know why. Like I obviously know that's not the general group of people who do that, but um, I can't rationalize going all in on a big game like this and then having buyer's remorse at that point because you've already paid for shipping six months after you <laughs> paid for the game, but. Uh, yeah, I don't need all those boxes. <laughs> uh, and Horizon would have been the one to do it for me. But they got a little sneaky, and they might do that with this too, at the end of Horizon by adding more and more and more oh content gosh, before yeah. it was done. Because I was all in on Horizon until about, what, a, about a month before it, sh- like, no, not a month, about a week before it closed. Uh, I so... think that's the only Kickstarter I have canceled during the campaign. Really? Was Horizon Zero Dawn, yeah. Yeah, still it's a huge bummer to me, so that's probably the only reason why I'm considering getting the base version at this point. Um, I think the menus look cool. Uh, I'm sure any Monster Hunter fan is going to love this game, but it's just not for me. 
how many, and obviously this is not the same game, but it's from the same company. So I think it kind of tracks. How many ratings do you, if you had to guess, based off the success of the Horizon Zero Dawn Kickstarter, yeah. how many ratings mm. do you think the Horizon Zero Dawn board game has on Board Game Geek? Ooh. I feel like their games don't get highly rated. I mean, not highly, but like quantity-wise. Um, but I also know they have a really bad. They also have a really bad track record of shipping games to people. And yeah, the Rise of the board game was, over, I think, over a year late, wasn't it? Yeah, and they're very bad, apparently, from comments I've read on other games. Um, because we backed, we were backing Horizon Zero Dawn, and we get updates, and the comments would be like, "We're still waiting for you to send us Dark Souls. Why are you running another Kickstarter?" So people aren't super happy with them. Um, I don't know what's like. Uh, I don't know, a couple hundred. That's pretty low for Board Game Geek, right? Yeah, that's pretty low for it. Yeah, it has two hundred and four. Okay, yeah, that's that's low. Yeah, that is low as far as the number of ratings go. The ratings aren't bad. Uh, like it's not a game that has a bad rating. I mean, it's a seven point three overall, but because there's so few ratings, uh, the rank is six thousand five hundred eighty-one. That's interesting uh, to me. As a as a huge Horizon Zero Dawn fan, I'm always trying to collect Horizon Zero Dawn stuff, but it never drops in price, which leads me to believe that these things should be flying off the shelves, right? Because if these things are not depreciating in value, what a four-year-old game at this point. Uh, why? Well, I mean, Horizon just shipped last year. Like the only people only backers only got. <laughs> well, it last I mean, year. like the 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 collectible stuff for the game. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, like yeah. original. Like I'm just trying to find, like the statue that you could get from the collector's edition, or a steel tin, or anything, and they're all crazy expensive still. In fact, I was just bidding on the statue on eBay, and I was like at sixty bucks, and it ended up going for like two hundred and fifty. I'm like, oh my god, and it was open. <laughs> So like I'm I'm just surprised at least for Horizon that there's not more reviews because in my head more like a lot of people must have this in their possession. But do you think that maybe a lot of people who have it are people who are just fans of the video game? Then maybe are never like you're just gonna yeah. add it as a like this is a collector's thing. Like I really don't even care about playing the game. Maybe maybe that's the case. Maybe Steamforge Games do they get uh, high quantity reviews for their games? I know like Dark Souls does, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, curious. Dark Souls is by far their most popular, I think, game as far as reviews and things like that go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know. And if you're interested, I mean, I know you said you, they had a 70 bucks. Uh, the Horizons are downboard game on Amazon right now is 67.95. Oh. So, you know, at that price. Cheaper hmm. is better. <laughs> Do I jump in at 67 bucks? I might. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> but... So back to Monster Hunter, though, I guess. So, A, I'm kind of surprised we're seeing this this early. I do think it is kind of cool that um, one of, in the all-in pledge, that triple extra large monster is over a foot tall. So that is big. I mean, these are not small monsters. So I guess maybe that is why they call it extra, extra, extra <laughs> large. Uh, I do think the $70 entry pledge is there to make the cost of entry, as it's called, seem less. But I would agree that the core pledge, I really do think, is where they're at and where they're trying to push most people. But really, even that at $140 in comparison to the prices of their other games uh, isn't that bad. Uh, Now, I'm not a Monster Hunter fan. I've always wanted to play Monster Hunter World because I thought it might be the one that would get me into gaming or into these games. 
but I just have never jumped in. It, it just seemed very daunting. And when you hear people have, you know, 300 hours in these games, uh, it, it's just not a commitment I'm looking for right now. So uh, I hope they're, I think they're going to be successful. I think this is going to go well for them. I, I, I do think that the Monster Hunter fans uh, are going to jump on this. I, I could be wrong, but I, I anticipate it'll be a very successful Kickstarter. Um, I'm just really, really surprised we're seeing it this early, especially since it's not launching until April. Uh, but maybe they were also kind of testing the waters to see if they can make any tweaks that were needed prior to launch. If people come out either balking at the price or asking for something different, maybe this gives them some time to adjust if they need to do that. Yeah. So, Excuse me. Any other thoughts on the Monster Hunter Kickstarter? It's nice to see more video game board games. So, you know, I'll take I'll take what we get. Absolutely. Hey, one quick update too. So this is kind of topic 1.5 for me. Uh, we talked last week and a couple weeks ago about this high grade Magic the Gathering Alpha Black Lotus. Yes. Josh, did you see the final final sale price for this card? I'm about to. Or you can you can tell me before I see it. Five hundred eleven thousand dollars. More than double the previous similar card. That's crazy. So I guess what you know, I thought it'd be a little bit more. You thought it'd be less. Either way, we were both very, very wrong. Very <laughs> like, wrong. Very, very wrong. So, yep. Uh, so if anybody has a cool half million extra cash laying around next time, you might be able to get an Alpha Black Lotus. Unless the price goes like it did last time, which would double, you'd have to have an extra million laying around. Oh, so I just no. wanted to give a brief it's update signed. on that. What? It's signed. What are you talking about? The card is signed by Christopher Rush. It's someone wrote on it. No, if you look at it, I don't think it actually is. Uh, oh, maybe it is. Interesting. Why would you spend that much money on a ruined card? <laughs> <laughs> it's ruined. I didn't even notice that. I did because before they had pictures of not the actual Black Lotus in the article. They just had the pictures a of like one. a Black Lotus. Yeah. Yeah. At least from what I recall. Interesting. Well, there you go. Nice job, Christopher Rush. Your art sold for a whole lot of money. I hope you got paid a whole bunch of money when you made that art for Black Lotus all those years ago. All right, Josh, what is your second topic? Hey, so we, we, I, you, me, just talked about Isaac Vega last week. We mentioned him. Um, and I, I don't know if we had a crystal ball because we just kind of offhandedly said maybe he's going to do something. And hey, he's doing something. Uh, Isaac Vega and Lindsay Rhodes. Uh, are starting a new company with some ambitious goals, it would seem. I opened Monster Hunter. Whoops. Uh, so they announced, not only did they announce a new studio, they announced a debut board game and a debut RPG and a video game, at least the intentions of making a video game as well. So right now it's a two-person studio. This is from Dicebreaker.com. Um, and... Yeah, essentially. So Isaac Vega is the co-creator of Dead of Winter uh, and Forgotten Waters, which is a very, very, very highly received game put out by Plat Hat last year, um, which I still want to get, but I haven't gotten. Um, and, you know, people are kind of wondering, Isaac had left just before they went, uh, Plat Hat left Asmodee and went public or independent, not public. Uh, we hadn't really heard much uh, from Isaac until now. Um, and he's working with fellow board game designer Lindsay Road, and they are calling their studio Rose Gauntlet Entertainment. And they said, as a publisher, they will provide they want to provide the tabletop community with a place of love, laughter, warmth, and inclusion, where everyone is welcome to be themselves. 
so they're already set to release several upcoming tabletop titles, including a board game called Keystone North America, which is co-created by um, Isaac Vega and Jeffrey Joyce, a wildlife cons- conservation enthusiast. Um, in Keystone North America, um, players become biologists intent on cultivating an interconnected ecosystem of animals using a combination of cards and actions. Um, also, Life After Dungeon is an upcoming role-playing game, uh, which was designed both by Vega and Rhodes, uh, about the world of After. It's a co-op dungeon-crawling RPG. They got artwork from Alyssa Manold, and it will uh, provide players with tools they need to tell touching and action-packed stories together. And they're also working on a video game called Gone to Gaia, uh, which is described as a video game, a deck, sorry, a deck-building video game uh, that challenges the players to get three playable characters into a world filled with a mysterious fog called the Tide, threatened by both the poisonous fog and alien entity, sorry, and an alien entity that manifests in various locations throughout the games. Players will have to use a mixture of cards, character abilities, and items to survive so yeah they got a bunch of stuff coming out swinging they're saying hey there might be two of us right now but we're working with people already and uh to me it sounds like they have um a really good vision on what they want to do at least right now and you know it's i i honest for honestly i don't know too much about what Road has worked on. Uh, I guess she created a board game called Countdown Action Edition, in uh, an ancient Greek-inspired title, Labyrinthos. Um, but I'm unfamiliar with her work, but I'm definitely going to look it up because um, I know Isaac Vegas stuff, and you know he's a powerhouse in the board game world as far as designers, creators go. Um, I should say this: Alex Meehan wrote this article. Um, Dicebreaker, if you want to look for it. But what do you think about this ambitious uh, taking on of things? <laughs> I think it's great. I do wonder about this deck building video game that he wants to, that Isaac is really talking about and, and designing. I, I'm wondering, is it, you know, in the style of. Wow, why am I blanking on the name of that game? Slay the Spire? Thank you. I'm wondering, is it like a Slay the Spire style game uh, or, you know, Monster Train or any of those, you know, types of games that have really taken off recently? And I'd be very interested to see his take on that. I I don't think that's I'm not saying that as a knock. I'd be very interested to see what he could do there. Uh, So that's interesting to me. It is also, I think, the fact that they want to incorporate um, some sort of technology or integration in all their games for the most part moving forward, uh, I find to be indicative probably of what most designers are probably thinking at this point or many designers are probably thinking the fact that isaac would go off help create this new company and really say like yeah you know other than maybe this keystone north america digital integration is something we really want to see in our games moving forward um and and kind of blurring the lines between video game board game which we've talked about before right how do you publish a board game but ensure that people playing online are still able to participate or people who prefer computer games are able to participate uh i'm really interested anything isaac does i i am definitely want to check out uh like you i don't know a ton about Lindsay, but i i am interested to see um what her projects are and things like that moving forward as well so this is great i, th- I think another really cool um company uh, i think rose gauntlet honestly i think is a sweet name 
I think it's a yeah. really good name for a board game company. <laughs> uh, so I'm very, very interested to see what they come up with. So, yeah. Very cool. It's nice to see. We just talked about wanting to see more board game studios. And, and here we go. We got a new one right out, right out the gates. Um, quick side note, friend of the show, William Herkovitz is one of his favorite games, Human Punishment Social Deduction 2.0. Yeah. Uh, they actually have a uh, game called Human Punishment. The beginning is on Kickstarter right now. Uh, so if you believe William to be knowledgeable about games, which he definitely is, <laughs> uh, you might want to go ahead and check out the Human Punishment. The beginning on Kickstarter is just an option for you. Speaking of Kickstarter, Josh, I thought, you know, since there's this excellent article written on the Medium by Thomas Bidow, uh, we should talk a little bit about Kickstarter in 2020. Now, this article does go over Kickstarter as a whole, not specifically board games and video games, but I'm really going to focus just on the board game and video game part for us, because obviously, based on our podcast, that's what we care the most about. But just as a brief overview, Kickstarter in 2020 projects raised a little over $730 million. So that is a lot of of money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as things go, the the interesting thing is that the number of projects launched in 2020 was the least amount of projects since 2011. Wow. As far as the total number launched, however, the number funded was pretty in line with how many projects fund annually. So the funding percentage, the number of projects that were successfully funded compared to those launched, very very high. So less projects, but more projects were being successful overall from a percentage standpoint because about the same number have been were successful in 2020 as were every other year. So Kickstarter raised more money um, than they than they had previously. Um, so overall for Kickstarter, it, it was a good year. Um, however, interesting to know that art, comics, and publishing were down quite significantly. Um Fashion, film, and video music all had worse years than they did in 2019. Food was also down in 2020. So all of these areas down, Josh. Everything is down. Everything is down. But Kickstarter's making a whole bunch of money. Why? <laughs> because 2020 was a re- another record year for the tabletop games on Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, they kick uh, Tabletop games represented about a third of all of the money Kickstarter raised in 2020. So they really are, you know, the driving juggernaut when it comes to things being successful and, and Kickstarter making money. It really does come down to board games. Um, it was up about 33% from 2019. That's crazy. It is crazy. So, yeah, um, about 70% of board games launched on Kickstarter funded in 2020. And if you think about how many board games launch... <laughs> 70%. And think about how many conversations we've had about games where that were like, how is this even a thing? Like, why is this even allowed on here? Like, still 70% of games launched on Kickstarter um, were, were successful in, in raising the amount that they wanted to get. Um, yeah. That's a lot. Of... I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's a lot. So, That's but obviously. That, uh, sorry, I'm also looking at this, these graphs at the same time as you're talking so i'm oh, also gotcha. like no, it's th- flabbergasted it's totally at these graphs <laughs> yeah it, it is really it is pretty amazing now f- big projects were definitely the big driving force right projects that in and of themselves raised over five hundred thousand dollars really were like 
the driving force as far as revenue, uh, as far as money raised goes. Um, so, you know, kind of the one percentage, one percent, if you would, uh, of the board game world generated a ton of revenue because there wasn't a ton, ton, ton of projects that raised that much, but the ones that did were very, very successful. A few things like Frosthaven making 12, almost $13 million. Uh, and Nemesis Lockdown uh, made $7 million. Return to Dark Tower, another very, very successful game. So overall, board games absolutely crushing it on Kickstarter in 2020, uh, despite all the economic downturns, despite everything that was doom and gloom for basically every other industry on Kickstarter, board games absolutely crushing it. Uh, video games? <laughs> I mean, not so much. they did okay. They did not so much. <clears throat> It was a successful year for video games on Kickstarter as far as being a video game on Kickstarter goes. But with that being said, they are a paltry drop in the bucket <laughs> uh, compared to the board game world. So um, the video games as a whole, and of course now I'm missing it, uh, raised about $23 million Um on Kickstarter, again, in comparison to $236 million for board games. So this might be one of the few areas where the board game uh, economy far outpaces the video game economy is on Kickstarter. Um, there were 923 projects not funded in video games and only 408 funded. So a big slew of the games that were more games were not funded when it came to video games. Um, whereas, you know, the flip-flop for tabletop games. In tabletop, 3,163 3, games funded and only 1,300 did not. Mm. So you both are seeing board games being more successful, raising more money um, versus, you know, video games raising less money and more of them not funding. There's a less likely chance that you'll actually get funded on Kickstarter um, than, you, than you'll not get your funding goal. So seems pretty bleak, you know for the most part no huge games that i think that are probably worth talking about you know the wonderful 101 remaster was kind of the one a lot of people were talking about but josh you know we've seen this for a long time now that video games in general just not as successful as board games are on kickstarter so i have two questions for you number one do you think 2021 will be a better year or a not as good of year for board games in general on Kickstarter? And then do you think video games will ever turn around? Will Kickstarter ever be a really viable option for video games? Ooh. Uh, I don't... 2021 is interesting because we have an idea of what we can expect. And if things don't go well, we know what to expect. So I would guess things wouldn't go well if the worst case scenario happens. But, you know, that being said, who knows where we're going to be in two months. Um, so I don't know. I mean, based on the graph, it, I would say, yeah, it's going to be a better year based on <laughs> stats. But, you know, they don't have stats on coronavirus. They, they do, but not uh, <laughs> in this fun way. Um, so it's it's tough to say, you know, what to expect for that but you know because like in my head i'm like yeah it would be a better year because you could put out a board game on kickstarter that doesn't have to ship till 2022 but people still have to pay for it in 2021 and there's still a lot of people hurting for money in fact more so now uh than they were last year so um 
my I guess my gut says a worse year, but maybe not by too much. I mean, you're not going to see another Gloomhaven, right? So you can you can chop chop off a big chunk of money there. Uh, and you know, if we don't get if we don't get like big launches like that, um, that definitely will speak to at least the profitability of of that. Um, as far as video games go, I don't I don't know what the well, I mean, I have a suspicion, but it's kind of a closed-minded opinion uh, on it. I think video games aren't as popular on Kickstarter because um, I think it's easier. This It sounds awful when I say it, but I think it's easier to make a crowdfunded board game than it is a video game. And I think that's why you can show pictures of a board game of an idea, of a concept, and usually they're right on the mark. Usually. Uh, with a video game, you need so much more to show to somebody. You can't just show them pictures of what your video game is going to look like because I think video game... Um, what do we want to call it? Investors for Kickstarter are a little bit more savvy on that. Like They know... Like, you can't just say, this is what I want my game to look like, and it's going to look like that. You need an engine, a team, potentially a studio, depending on how much money you raised. Um, and there's also a bad track record of video games on Kickstarter not fulfilling or still working on fulfilling. Uh, games that take three or four years to come out after the date that they told you it would come out. So I think there's just more of a, a maybe a negative stigma to it, but that's that is all in my thoughts like i don't have any facts to back that up besides these graphs <laughs> i really feel that the only excuse me really successful way you could make a video game on kickstarter is if you were a one-person team yeah i i find it very challenging it's just there's just not enough money for the video games because even these board games that are making tons of money if you have a five six eight twelve person team that, that money goes away really really fast yeah um so you're right I, I just think that kickstarter really works well for board games because the teams typically developing them are quite a bit smaller um and, and the process to get them by the time they get to kickstarter you know usually all the things getting the game to the kickstarter are things people are just passionate about so they make uh and, and they're able to say like hey here's the proof of concept here's what the printed and designed components are going to look like they have you know panda and those other companies whose whole job it is is to give them here's your quote for how much this would cost you to actually produce this game so theoretically you know they should be in a good idea to be able to produce those things but video games there's so many monkey wrenches that can come in and you know, board games are already off to a good start this year. You know, I just backed Arwen's Journey um, that ended just recently. And, you know, they're, they ended at a little over a million euros, which is like $1.3 million. Uh, and that's a game that, you know, th does any casual person know what Darwin's Journey is as far as the board game market goes, right? right. Like, Frosthaven <laughs> is something that got big enough that maybe got out there. But, you know, you have these games that... Uh, look really cool and look really and i'm really excited about it but you know i don't think your average person is gonna be like oh yeah that's clearly a million dollar kickstarter you know so let me tell you some current video games that are on kickstarter i'd love to hear it uh yacht mechanic simulator 2021 
That actually sounds kind of fun. I'd like to learn how to uh, sail a yacht. It's not. No, it's mechanic. Yacht mechanic simulator. Oh, I want to learn how to fix a yacht engine. (laughs) Uh, 37% funded. Okay. Cyber Rebellion VR. Okay. uh, For Oculus and Steam VR. uh, 1% funded. Dread Knight, a fast-paced action platformer racing off against the clock. 5% funded. Project Kidnap. 0% 0% okay. funded. <laughs> Sounds about appropriate that where that should be. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. I'll pick I'll pick one that's funded. The first game funded. Ova Magica, an adorable farming and monster taming game. 542% funded. On a goal for a video game of $24,000. I think that says a little bit. about that uh it's just full of not even half funded and and i don't mean any insult to some of these people who worked a lot uh of hours and put a lot of hard work into but flash games and you know homestar runner games and they there's places for them to live on the internet i just don't know that kickstarter is where they should be and I don't know a lot of, uh, and unfortunately there are a lot of like games that, you know, would never get published or even put on the steam store. And that's why they're on here. Like project kidnap, um, or game doll gay, which is just seems, I don't know, uh, like a, uh, disingenuous name for a game uh, in a world in a, in a time where we could probably be better at naming things. Um, bikini Island challenge. Sparkle Pandas Online Companions Come Play With Me. Like, it's just full of a lot of stuff like that. And I think also, when you look at that graph, that chart, and shows you how many projects there were compared to how many are funded, it's kind of like what happens with, like, the eShop. Like, it just gets overcrowded, and you can't find, like, the good, the games that have promise, I guess, is what I'll say. Psych, a modern horror game. Sounds really cool. Looks cool. Buried. 32% funded. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff that I have to keep, just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling to find games. So I think that unless you have good marketing or you're getting advertisements, advertising out there, like on like a Kotaku or somewhere, it's going to be hard to find some of these games too. I don't know. It's endless though. Keep scrolling. <laughs> No, I, I hear you. It, yeah. Well, and there's like uh, Unit Down, a modern arcade-styled game. Now, I'll be honest, in looking at this, I'm a, I I don't know if this is supposed to be a video game or a board game. Oh, it's a video game, now that I've looked. Okay. It is uh, funded at $509. <clears throat> Maybe they really can make a game for 500 bucks. I don't know, but that seems like... Yeah, it I seems mean, like that guy who was trying to sell that um, Game of Thrones board game with stock right. images, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, you you had one of the charts in here. Uh, I'll see if I can find the video game one. Something that really like was eye opening to me. So in 2015, there were 374 projects that funded, but 1,800 that were not funded. In video right. games. That's insane. That just shows that... I don't even know what it shows. It says that they're 
people are putting out a lot of games. And I just, from my just now search on Kickstarter, I'm curious as to um, the quality of those games. And like, we even had our own little PSVG like problem with Swapfire too. Like, yeah. we had, you know, we had someone invest a lot of money in that game that basically, from all that you can tell, because they don't do updates anymore, they just gave up on. They took our money and they gave up on it. We don't know what they did with the money. They can tell us all day and night what they did with the money, but that doesn't make it true. So that's just another one of those gambles with Kickstarter. And I just think with the track record for video games, I'd be far more likely to back a board game yeah. over a video game any day. Well, and again, maybe this person has the best of intentions. I always try to assume that they're doing the best yeah, they can, but, yeah. like, but like... It says, quote, I want this game to do the best it can be, and there are things that my own skill set cannot create, such as voices, sound design, and more advanced modeling and animation. There are also many fees associated with publishing a game, and advertising is not cheap. $350 is the minimum required for me to get the necessary help and to fully create, publish, and advertise a game for it to be a success. $350 is all you need for those things? That's it? $350. Maybe we're jaded. Maybe there is a world... Where you don't have to pay a voice actor more than $5,000 for one session. <laughs> and the stretch goals is $800 full voice acting. Is there one line in the game? Well, like, if he's he... doing his own voice acting, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I you also have to think... wonder what his his opinion on the quality that he wants to put out is. I, I agree. And, and you know, there are definitely board games that are like this too, right? If there are board games that you can go into and read through and you're like, okay, clearly. But I think the difference being is there's also board games, like I said, that are making a, well over a million dollars every month. Yeah. Like every yeah. month there's a million plus board, dollar board game. Um, and that almost never – there's maybe one video game a year that does that. Um, so it just – yeah, it's rough. But – you know, hopefully board games continue to do well there. I, I do think this is going to continue to be the trend is that board games are going to go to Kickstarter, which I think works out well. I think they, it has been, yeah, it's mostly just a glorified pre-ordering system at this point. Yeah. But um, I, I do think it tends to work well for most folks. So anything else about Kickstarter and how they did in 2020? Um, good for them. They're providing a, yeah. a – well, actually, now that like GameFound is out there and that other place you turned me on to that I completely forgot about already – um, that they're out there being more competitive, maybe it is going to be a tougher year for Kickstarter um, as they have more competition, which is just the nature of a successful mm-hmm. business. Yeah. I mean, just like, you know, how... What's Facebook that place called? Folded, how Facebook folded when there was Google Circles or <laughs> Google whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. All right, Josh, what is your last topic this week? It is... Well, we're going to talk about Amazon Games, uh, more specifically, um, what the internet darling Jason Trier's opinion on uh, Amazon Games is. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting that uh, I was I was uh, parousing Kotaku as you do, and I saw Bloomberg Report details major dysfunction at Amazon Game Studios. This was by Art Notice, and no diss. Every time I see Bloomberg, I know it's Jason Schreier for sure now. So it also means that we can't read it because we don't subscribe to Bloomberg. That's right. And we have to get it <laughs> through somebody else. <laughs> so we know what we know. What do we know? We know that Amazon shut down Crucible or took it down 
and said they're going to fix it like Anthem. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so we also know I am beta testing one of their cloud streaming services. Uh, so that's interesting. I'm not not a sponsor. Uh, but basically, what I just kind of want to go over it briefly. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because it seems to be just a tale as old as time. Uh, just this happens to be one of the quote-unquote planet's biggest companies, which I can't argue that. Uh, so he interviewed uh, more than 30 current and former, so it could be any number, just 30 total current, so maybe one former or one current and 29 former, who knows? <laughs> um, uh, Amazon employees, uh, uh, <laughs> the paint and apparent picture, we all we know all too well. And this is where, so I don't know if this is, it seems like it's Kotaku talking. An out-of-touch company throws money at an ambitious project. I don't know that Amazon has ever been described to me as out-of-touch. In fact, I would argue they are more in touch with consumers than anybody else in the world. <laughs> so, uh, executives refuse to listen to rank-and-file staff. Uh, higher-ups institute draconian policies that hamper workflow rather than aid it. You'd think these companies would get the memo by now. That is a quote. Here's what I want to say. As a rank-and-file employee, everything that follows that as far as executives refuse to listen, higher-ups institute draconian policies, that's just people who aren't happy with what they're being asked to do, in my opinion. People who... Uh, get paid to do a job and they don't want to do the full job they're getting paid to do, in my opinion. <laughs> so I get to, I'm going to write my own article. Um, so apparently, uh, we're, so we're getting more news on New World, which is um, their, their uh, 17th century America game. Uh, it's an RPG um, coming out this year still, uh, supposedly, but apparently they were working a little too close to comfort as far as colonization and tribes and maybe being a little insensitive. So they supposedly hired a tribal consultant who found that um, the portrayal was, was actually offensive for whoever was reporting it. So they, uh, they say it was pushed from August, 2020 to spring, 2021. Um, uh, You know, maybe, maybe that's true. Uh, they were forced to use a proprietary development tool called Lumberyard. So this sounds similar to uh, Mass Effect having to develop under Frostbite. Just someone telling a studio, hey, we're doing this because it's cheaper, potentially, and having to work on that. Um, they were supposed, it was supposedly mandated. Uh, there's apparently, quote-unquote, bro culture uh, that is pervasive at Amazon Game Development Studios. Um, one woman told Bloomberg that following a disagreement with a male member of senior leadership, he made up some new positions above her and hired men into those roles. Now, as someone who knows a little bit about business, I also know it's pretty hard to just create new positions because you got into an argument with someone who works below you. Now, it's maybe it's possible. I don't know the control that these people have at Amazon, but unless he's like senior manager of wiping my butt, I don't know that you can just do that, <laughs> but who knows? It could. I mean, it could be senior manager. Yeah. Who knows? It could be. I think I'm coming across the opposite way the story wants me to come across. <laughs> um, so, so uh, apparently, Amazon onboarded story developers who worked on um, Portal and Far Cry, 
and, and supposedly only one of them still remains there. Uh, and the leader of the entire games division, Mike Frazzini, has never made a video game before. He'd reportedly frustrated developers with basic takes and had trouble. So I was reading this and I wanted to ask you, have you ever seen the movie Grandma's Boy? I have not. Oh, okay. So basically this reads like someone just watched Grandma's Boy and it was like, this is how I picture Amazon right now. Because they have a guy <laughs> who works there who has no idea about video games, but he's out, he's dictating how things are supposed to be run. And I don't know. Maybe this is Grandma's Boy in real life. You should watch it. It's a funny movie. Okay. Um, and it has video games. And, and Linda Cardellini. You can't be mad at Linda Cardellini. Uh, and most of Adam Sandler's crew without Adam Sandler. <laughs> um. Yeah, so they say rather than designing new concepts, Amazon pushed to create takes on other popular games. They also had a project called Nova, which was uh, reportedly inspired by League of Legends that was canceled in 2017. A game called Intensity uh, that was reportedly sparked by Fortnite's staggering success, which was uh, canned in 2019. And then, as they call it, the ill-fated Overwatch-like Crucible which I guess I see the similarities there, but I think it was more similar to Battleborn or Smite, but those are all, I, I guess, comparisons to Overwatch overall, which was... Or that one... What was that one um, epic game that was on... That was a PlayStation-exclusive MOBA? Oh, yeah. That they binned because Fortnite got so big so they didn't have time to work on it anymore? Uh, anyway, it reminded me a lot of yeah. that. It reminded me kind of that, too. Yes, I remember that game. Uh, Paragon. Yes. <laughs> I just need... See, I have space in my brain for that. That needs to go away. I need to learn new things. Um, so, yeah. So, they say Amazon Luna, the company's foray into the hot games on demand space, doesn't even fall under the gaming division. It's run by David Limp, who helms Amazon device division. What a crazy world. So I do, what do you think about this whole story? What do you, do you think Amazon is in trouble? Do you think they have any business in having a game studio? And tell me I'm wrong about my hot takes about these hot takes. If you Josh, want to. <laughs> here's what I would say. Um what year did Amazon Game Studio start? Mm, I think it's uh 2017. 20. I wasn't prepared for questions, Kyle. Hold on. Founded August 7th, <laughs> 2012. Whoa. Okay. Name me one good game Amazon Game Studios has delivered. I can't say Crucible. It does. Can you play Crucible right now? <laughs> I think I could still play it. Uh, oh, I mean, Airport Mania, Kyle. <laughs> This is like looking at um, who did the Skylanders game. This is like looking at their Wikipedia page. Oh, Vicarious Visions. <laughs> yeah. Dragon's Lair. Boom. Nailed it. They did the Grand Tour game, a game I wanted to play, but I don't think it's they good. They did the Twitch extension <laughs> of Dragon's Lair. Oh, yeah. That's it it. <laughs> is exactly like the last studio we talked about. Uh, yeah. I didn't play the Grand Tour game. It probably wasn't reviewed highly well, but it was a game I wanted to play. Uh, yeah. I mean, I hear you. They have no good games that I know of. A lot of these are mobile games, too. So if you think about it, Josh, if there was a studio that was founded in 2012 
And to this day, <laughs> we're in 2021. Yeah. They have yet to ship a decent, it seems, game. I I, I feel like there clearly has to be problems, right? Like there has to be. How else do you go this long? Like if this was anyone that yes. wasn't didn't have Amazon's money, like this would have just been closed and like moved on from by now, right? I agree. So it sounds less crazy that a guy got it put in charge of a division and had no clue what he was doing, essentially. Which I don't I right. don't disagree with. <laughs> now, yeah. now that you rubbed I, it in my face that I was wrong. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I told you to do it. I told you to do it. So I, the fact that this is still a thing surprises me. It it really would not shock me if by the end of 2021, especially if they actually do release New World, and it does stink that Amazon Game Studios is no more. That's fair. I mean, if it's not working, stop spending money on it. So that's at least my thoughts. It just, oh my gosh. Uh, like, can you imagine if this was a PlayStation or Xbox first party studio and this had been their output? Yeah, it would be like, how long did EA have the Star Wars license? It would probably be similar to that. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, cool. Hey, we, Anything else you want to say about Amazon? Do you? I mean, do you think they're going to be successful? Do you think it's ever going to produce a quality game? Honestly, I think the problem with Amazon is that they have so much money that they, this won't even be a blip. Probably and then they too. might just stay around forever and just not put anything out. That is very possible. Because it's a write-off. Yeah. Like, well, we, we had to spend <laughs> the money somewhere. <laughs> right. Yeah, we lost all this money on this area. <laughs> so, All right, Ooh. Josh, for my final topic. You just stumbled upon it. They have to lose money when they file I their taxes. So. Yeah. They're like, send uh, John from... Accounting to run a video game division. <laughs> That's why he spends your dollars in taxes. He's like, oh, would it be really cool off the <laughs> if we had a big-breasted woman who explores caves and she has like a whip? No, Jim, <laughs> that's terrible. It's been done. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, Josh. So last week we made some – we assigned homework to one another in regards to movies to watch or shows to watch. And we yeah. were both successful in that. So for my third topic, I thought it might be fun to assign each other a little gaming homework. Oh. And now I don't want us to do anything too crazy because obviously, you know, watching a couple hour movie is very different than me, you know, assigning you to play Persona 5 in, by the next two weeks. Like, I don't want to get things too out of hand. But we both talk a lot about our intentions with video games yeah. or board games. And I think that, you know, having a little bit of a, a homework assigned to us by one another that we can follow up on in, say, two weeks... Okay. To give us a little bit of time might be helpful, right? To help us decide what we want to do with our gaming time and de- and decide where we want to go. Now, you talked a little bit at the top of the show and I'll and I'll start with giving assigning you some homework and you do have to agree to it. Like I'm not saying you don't <laughs> have to just take what I say verbatim. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, to help us to help motivate you along the way. Two things I want to assign you two pieces of homework, Josh. Piece number 1, you have to finish the medium. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Why? Why the sigh? Why the sigh? No, no, Josh? I can do that. You said piece number one, so that means there's more. <laughs> there is more, but there was a huge sigh. Why was there a sigh? It wasn't a sigh. I just said, "Uh." <laughs> I didn't go. <sighs> I just I'm wasn't just expecting to really... have to beat it. <laughs> oh, well, I, 
I mean, isn't it by all? Isn't it like a seven-hour game? Listen, I said I'll do it. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> no, I'm just if you're. I mean, if you're not having fun, you can tell me. Listen, I know you're like my work wife, but all I did was say, "Uh." <laughs> <laughs> tell me how you really feel, Josh. Okay, that's number one. Piece number one. And so the second piece. Okay, so according to how long to beat, the medium main story is eight hours. Cool. I'll kill. I'll kill that. Okay. So then the second one might be a little more challenging. I don't know because I also, you know, you you are picking and choosing and walking through this buffet of games, Josh. Yeah. Um, it's like a casino buffet, though. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I never. You never know when you're gonna get sick. <laughs> well, I hope this last one doesn't make you sick because the second thing. Is I would love for you, and this if this doesn't happen, I understand because this can be challenging because it's really hard to tell how long you've played a game for. Also, finish Xenoblade Chronicles. Oh, okay, yeah. So those are your two pieces of homework. Does that seem reasonable for two weeks from now? Yes, yes. And like I said, for Xenoblade, I know the game's super long, so if that last chapter is thirty hours, who knows? Oh my god, with those games sometimes. So if you can't finish that one, I totally understand because I don't know how many hours you're into it right now, but. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. It says on my save file, but I'm not sure how many hours. Okay, because it says, uh, uh, again, on how long to beat, uh, it says that Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition is 50 and a half hours <laughs> oh, for the main oh, story. No. <laughs> I don't so that's why I said, I don't know, you're like, I'm in the last chapter, but that last chap- that chapter That sounds like it's going to be a hours. long chapter. <laughs> so, like I said, if you can't finish this one, I totally understand. Yeah. It's always hard to tell, uh, but... I think the medium for sure seems doable. Yeah. Okay. And then, well, that way we could talk about those games in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I have given you homework, Josh. Yeah. You now <laughs> can give me homework. Yeah. Okay. Here's your homework. Uh-huh. I'm going to give you two. Okay. The first thing is the two tier. One. Whoa. So this is like, multi- okay. You need to plug your Xbox back in. Okay. And hook it up to your TV. Okay. Yeah. I want you to play... One hour of Forza Horizon 4. It's on Game Pass, right? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. We also own it. So even if it wasn't on Game Pass. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Okay. One hour of Forza Horizon 4. Okay. And then number two. Yep. I need you to get Mm -hmm. to the point in Godfall where you've Mm -hmm. played it (laughs) and it opens multiplayer. Because I need to cross off Godfall multiplayer on my own bucket list. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, so one hour of hours of work. I literally gave you two four. hours of work. <laughs> you did. That's you did it. give me two hours of work. I gave you way more. <laughs> yes. That is very true. Yeah. That's give me like cool. 28 okay. hours of work to work. <laughs> I told you the one was optional and only if it worked. I didn't know how long you had left. So, uh, cool. Okay, one hour of Forza Horizon 4 and get to the Godfall multiplayer portion. And then in two weeks' time. So, we have two weeks from recording date. Yeah. Um to get that done and then we'll check back in in two weeks on how we're doing on our homework sound like a plan sounds good to me awesome that is the end of my third topic so with that josh we move on to the point of the show where we predict what is going to be announced on monday before our podcast releases on tuesday well you kind of predicted what happened you were just a day i was pretty stoked it wasn't the right day but it did happen that week so once again the internet is dying they're so thirsty for nintendo direct that I'm just going to go ahead and guess that Nintendo says there on Monday announces there will be a Nintendo Direct on Thursday. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go that we get a release date, an official release date for 
Mass Effect Remastered. Oh, not Ratchet and Clank, Mass Effect. Not Ratchet and Clank. I'm there. I know that the <laughs> the PlayStation stands were out being like, "Oh man, since Returnal got delayed, that means Ratchet and Clank must be coming in February." I ain't, or in March, excuse me. I ain't going there. I think Mass Effect uh, Remastered. We're gonna get a release date for and and or trailer, something like that is gonna happen. Cool. I love that. Cool. All right, so with that, we're going to move on to our recommendations for a well-rounded life. While we're obviously a gaming podcast, we do want to give you one thing we're currently into that's helping us live that well-rounded life. Josh, what is your recommendation this week? Well, I was going to recommend what you recommended, but it's on your... I don't know if we were going to talk... I didn't know if your homework was us talking about our homework, so I also didn't want to put it in there, so I'm just... you can do. You can use it for your recommendation if you want to. It's fine. I'm just going to piggyback off when you talk about yours. Okay. I'm going to piggyback off of it because I wanted to put this and I didn't. And then when you mentioned the Amazon thing, when we were talking about that story, there's literally like a part of the show where what sounds like happened actually happens in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a few weeks ago, I talked about, I've, uh, maybe like a month ago, I talked about discovering that. Um, big fat quiz of everything, the British TV show hosted by Jimmy Carr. And, you know, I, f- I fell into that YouTube hole watching all of them. And one of the guests, um, well, two guests, Richard Ayoade and, and Noah Fielding, um, who know Noah Fielding was in the Mighty Boosh, which is something I never saw, but people seem to know a lot about. Um, but they were always guests on that. And I found them to be very funny. And then I just then I remembered Richard Ayoade was in The Watch, the Ben Stiller critically panned film, but I thought he was funny in it, and I had never heard of him before. And he also has a show called Travel Man, which I discovered. This isn't a Richard Ayoade pick. This is actually um, the IT Crowd, a show that I always been wanting to watch. It's a British series. I don't know if it predates The Big Bang Theory or not. Um, but it definitely has some parallels as far as uh, character portrayals. I'm in the middle of season one. I don't know because it's a series in Britain. I don't know if it ends on episode six like most British series do. But I think I just finished episode five. Um, it is just plain hilarious. It's very funny. It has – if you know British comedy – um, I've watched, like, I grew up watching a lot of British comedies, so I'm familiar with, like, their formula. It's a very specific formula, um, and they really stick to that. They always add, um, it, it's a little bit more, it's not safe for work, I guess is what I'd say. They're not as prudish with the language as we are, so there's plenty of cursing in the show for a primetime show in Europe, England, I guess. Um, but yeah, it takes, it's about two guys who are the IT guys for a giant corporation. And uh, this giant corporation hires a new uh, employee and they just, they she lied on her resume about knowing about computers. So she was given the department to run and she has nothing, no clue about what she's doing. Uh, it's funny. There's a lot of crazy over the top antics, uh, pretty fun, dry British humor. and. Uh, some over-the-top stuff as well. Uh, I don't want to spoil things because I really do. There's definitely things that are spoilery that make it would make it less funny if you knew. But 
think a less annoying Sheldon Cooper if you didn't like the Big Bang Theory. That's Richard Ayoade's character. Um, but he is funny as in he's kind of a dunce, but he's also a literal um, in the way he uh, does things. So it's pretty funny. And the other guy whose name is slipping my mind, but it's on the top of my tip of my tongue. Uh, he's like the slobby, um, politically incorrect IT guy that doesn't really want to be there. Um, and he's hilarious as well. Very funny show. Highly recommended. Uh, the IT crowd on Netflix. I've always wanted to watch the show, and it's interesting now that Noah Fielding, I know him as being one of the hosts of the Great British Raking Show. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, and, and, <laughs> yeah, not even from being on the IT crowd. I don't know if The Big Bang Theory was inspired by it, because The Big Bang Theory came out, I think, the year after the IT crowd premiered. But I also know that The Big Bang Theory had multiple pilots before it was picked up. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know... Just because of that timing, I don't know how it all worked. But I do want to watch the IT crowd. I still haven't watched it. And I've always meant to. It's been on my list to watch on Netflix forever, and I just have never done it. Short, so. easy to watch episodes. Yeah. Check it out. Uh, yeah. My recommendation this week, Josh, is uh, a little thing on Hulu. Uh, Derek Delgadio's In and Of Itself. Now, Josh, this was the homework I assigned to you to watch. Yes. Very briefly, without spoiling anything about it or saying anything about it, like... Did you enjoy it? <laughs> yeah, I I really enjoyed it a lot. Not knowing okay. what I, not having any clue. I will say this without spoiling it. And I don't know about I don't know, maybe 15 minutes in. Mm -hmm. I had a very emotional response telling me I'm going to be emotional. I don't know why it happened, but I reacted in a way where nothing emotional happened, I, I sound like <laughs> menopause. <laughs> and I was just like, I have a feeling that I'm about to have a, a rough watch. <laughs> and I did. I had to get up and leave the room because there was th three other guys in the room. And I was like, did you see what I left earlier? He's like, yeah. I was like, I, I had to go cry. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> Josh, I like wept during this yeah. multiple times. There was it, a moment where for 20 know. minutes straight, I didn't stop weeping. <laughs> I, I have to keep what, pausing it. <laughs> I, I, like I said, if, listener, just don't look anything else. Don't look anything up about it. <laughs> don't watch a, a preview. Just watch this thing on Hulu. Maybe you won't like it as much as I did. Josh, I literally think this is one of my favorite things I've ever watched in my entire life, period. Okay. I mean, that's a thing to say. <laughs> right. And that might be hyperbolic just because it's very, it's very recent. Yeah. But I genuinely feel that I had like a, I don't want to, I guess I could say even like a potentially like a spiritual moment watching yeah. this. Yeah. And it was so good. I loved it. I, oh my gosh, I love this so, 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 so much. So please do yourself a favor. Go watch In and of Itself on Hulu. Don't, Please don't look anything else up about it. It I, I'm usually someone who doesn't care about spoilers, but this is something I genuinely believe the less you know, the more impactful this show potentially could be for you. You might hate it. And if you do, I apologize. But it has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> like people <laughs> I think it's something really, really special. So go ahead and check it out. Okay, Josh. It's a little, you know, we've been recording for about an hour and a half. Do you uh wanna Maybe do a little thing after we out show, uh, wrap up the show to talk a little bit about my homework that you gave me. Sure. 
Awesome. Okay. So why don't you, Josh, why don't we wrap this show up then? And listener, if you want to stick around after all of the regular wrap up shenanigans, uh, here, Josh and I talk about the killing of a sacred deer. You're welcome to do so. But Josh, in the meantime, why don't we wrap the show up? Let's do it. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board of 3G, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board of 3G. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form, or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwith3g at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with hashtag boardwith3g on all of our social media, so please feel free to use that hashtag as well so we can check up on what you guys are playing. And whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is, whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, our very own standalone board with video games feed. You can find me on Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, and Steam and Twitch. <laughs> Why is that serious? It's S I R R I U S. Kyle, where can the good people find you? So you can find me on all the usual places Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, and Board Game Geek. All at Psychocross, C Y C O C R O S S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming. All right, Josh. Listener, if you're still here, we're going to be talking about the movie The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, full spoilers. So if you have not watched <laughs> the movie, I'd encourage you to bounce out. If you don't care about spoilers, I guess you can hang out. Um, but we're going to talk about this homework Josh gave me to watch this movie. Now, Josh, the first thing I want to ask you, why was this one of the two movies you gave me the choice of watching? What about this movie oh. <laughs> made you recommend this to me? I've never seen a movie like this, ever. Uh, and I think... Okay. I think good or bad, I think that it is an important film because it is so unique. What is important about it? Uh, the storytelling, the acting, the way that the world is portrayed, the fact that you might not even think that you're on Earth when you start watching it. Um, there's a lot going on with it. Now, the fact that the movie at one point asks you to not necessarily ask how something is happening, but more why. Like there's parts in the movie that um, in our, in the decade of horror podcast, even Donnie was like, I kind of didn't really understand how some of these things were happening. Um, and I think for me, I did, I definitely understood that question while I was watching it. I, I like felt the bigger question was why is it happening more than how is it happening? Like, it's kind of uh, like a character drama or uh, even like a, a character punishment film in a way. I don't know, in a mm -hmm. weird way to word it. It's it's more artsy than horror, I think. It definitely has its share of horror elements to it, though. What did you think of it? Part of me loved this movie, Josh. And part of me thinks it's absolute trash well i'm less interested in that part but i want to hear about it <laughs> so i think the movie is shot beautifully 
I think the cinematography that is used and the way that is done to create the world is amazing. I think the the direction for how like the stilted dialogue is done is very good at setting a tone and setting a feeling and setting a, a, a creating a world where these things are happening. Where you're right. At first, I was like, I wonder how this is happening. But eventually, you're like, you know what? It doesn't really matter. Right. It doesn't matter how this is happening. The why is what the important thing is. All of that interesting. I think that the acting of uh, Barry Keegan playing Martin, amazing. Yeah. Martin, that character, excellent. With all that being said, Josh, there's a, one thing I really appreciate uh, in movies, and, and that is movies that have rules, right? Mm. And that doesn't mean I need a rule to know why this thing is happening. Yeah. But I feel like for Colin Farrell's character at the end of the movie, what what was that? <laughs> how how as a doctor of medicine, how how is that the answer? How is that the way you decide that this is going to happen? I well, I understand that, but I think what we see is him start forgetting how to be a doctor and react rationally because he is very measured in and slow and methodical about every decision he makes and now he's forced into you're you're for you're you're forced to see him being forced into not knowing how to be himself and not know what the right decision is and not know how to talk to his family but it's all in a and it's all stemming from this one kid who is like literally and metaphorically his guilty conscience and he just spirals and he does something that no one can predict because he's going insane. And he doesn't act rationally because he's not rational anymore. He's literally lost his mind. Be- Has he? Because he knows someone he cares about is going to die and he can't control it. And in fact, he th- he's thinking, I don't have but the courage. Control it. Right. Well, he thinks, I don't have the courage to even kill. He's like, I don't have the courage to save my whole family. He doesn't have the courage to do that. And I don't know that anyone would in that situation where it's like kill one or they all die. But ultimately, we I mean, <laughs> it comes down to this crazy scene. But I just and it was tough to watch. Uh <laughs> but I, I don't I don't think it's a smart move decision he made, but I don't think that he is a sane person in in I don't know, maybe the last third of the movie. I I just think you see like he starts to unwind with his wife and then with his kids and then in his job. And then he keeps coming back to this. Like, I think it starts when he takes Martin, right? Like that's really the jumping off point where, you know, Mm -hmm. he's no longer in control of his actions. He's just reacting. I just think this is a guy who's never had to react to something unknown before. He's a surgeon. And I, like he's he even was in such denial about what he did that I think he doesn't think he was drunk. So are you of are you of the belief that Martin's father's death is one hundred percent Colin Farrell's character's yes. fault? Yes, because it is said that he was drunk. And he told his wife, I only had a few drinks. Right. Which is what the um oh crap. Matt his, Williams, the, the uh, watch guy, the other doctor. <laughs> yeah, because he, I, but he, he also says, and maybe this is different. He also says, well, he had two drinks that morning. 
maybe that equals him being drunk. I have no idea. I but it's also not like if he was. I don't know. I thought there was more with Nicole Kidman where he said that he was actually had more drinks than that. I'm pretty positive that he had said like while <laughs> Nicole Kidman is, during that scene before the truck. Uh, I'm pretty positive he tells her that he had two drinks and that he. I think he might have said that he was intoxicated, oh, but he two was drinks. the only one who noticed. He was a for- yeah, formerly alcoholic. Right. Had two drinks. So he's coming out of sobriety and having two drinks and then going into surgery. So that means he's not used to having drinks. But, I mean, the timeline there. Right. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? You know, right. Who knows? Who knows? Because yeah. that was part of my thing of like, well, you know, Martin says that he killed him. Yeah. But I guess we don't really know. No, we don't really that know. He did. At least f- from what I took it as watching the movie was that he was like he was had enough drinks to kill Martin's father. And at least can you imagine even if that wasn't the case. You have someone you know went in for surgery, they died in the surgery and then you found out later that the surgeon had two drinks before surgery. Regardless of yeah. whether they no, can handle absolutely. it or not, I think I'd be pretty mad. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be that mad, <laughs> right? But I just I don't know. I I mean, and and clearly we de- I I think we saw the movie differently at at certain points, and I think that's okay. Um, but I know like Donnie Donnie was not very happy with the um, uh, the bleeding of the eyes and the not being able to walk stuff, which in my head. I, you know, while I couldn't, I wasn't trying to make sense of it. I was like, well, if I really thought about it, it could be some type of poison or, or hypnotism or manipulation or something where he's just making them think, because she's able to walk after seeing him outside or talking to him on the phone. Right. But then it goes away. Like, I really just assumed I didn't want to have to look too much into it. But for me, when I started the movie, I wasn't in a world I know. So I think I forgave almost all of that. Yeah, and that doesn't. I I did wonder for a little bit about the why, right? Because there there is no clear indication as to how this is happening. Right. Is he some devil incarnate? Is he like hexing? And there is even a moment in time where you know he freaks out in the kitchen. Just like, oh, I need these ingredients for the spell yeah. thing, right? Like, I mean, so they kind of address that. That we don't know why or how this is happening. It, it just is, yeah. right? I, I think at the end for me, not the end of the movie, but just in general, I don't mind. And I was reading some reviews of this movie and all this other stuff. And people are like, oh, this is one of the darkest, most messed up movies you've ever seen. I'm like, I didn't think that at all. No, it's not. Like, I didn't think it was that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was that dark. I didn't think it was that messed up. It's a little messed up, but I've definitely seen worse things. But for me, the challenge is, is that I think darkness is fine in movies. Having bleakness in movies is is fine, but it should be for something other than making me feel crappy because what was the other point of this other than for me to feel bad yeah i hear you You know did you like kill bill i'll be honest i haven't watched kill bill in a long time my initial reaction to seeing it i thought was cool that was a cool movie but i don't honestly genuinely like i couldn't even tell you fully the pot of kill bill right i mean it's a revenge film this is a revenge film but you're not in the if you take it that way you're not in the eyes of the protagonist in this film, Martin would be yeah. the protagonist. Protagonist, yeah. But I, you're you're but made to feel sympathy sense. for Colin Farrell, but the, but am I? I think so. I mean, at least really? at least 
to a degree. He's crap. Oh, he's he's a jerk. I think he's played. He's a horror. Like I, I feel no sympathy for him. He's an a hole. Why would I feel? Did you not like him at the start though? No, never. Really, you didn't. I'm surprised by that. Nope. Okay. Nope. Did not like him at all. I thought he was a. I thought he was an interesting character at the beginning. I think he was interesting, but that doesn't mean I. Well, liked did you him. have sympathy for his family then? Maybe that's. Maybe I had sympathy that's... for his family, but there was nothing they could do. So then I just feel bad. Right. Did you have sympathy right? for Martin? Uh no. Okay, good. You passed the psychopath test. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think that's that's the hard part for me with this movie is that I felt like after it was over. Of like, cool, that just stunk. Like, everything there was just sad and bleak. That was it. <laughs> there was nothing else of the, about this movie other than to make me feel bad. That's why you gave me 28 hours of homework. <laughs> You're mad at me. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. But I, well, it, like I said, I mean, am I wrong? Is there something no, no, no. that I'm supposed to take away from that? Well... I mean, I can't tell you there's something you should take away from it. I can't, well, I can't tell you. Well, I'm more asking that I miss something. Like, is there something I miss? I just, I don't know. I mean, you just saw it differently. I think that, I think me and Lucas are in line, and I think you and Donnie are probably more in line as far as it goes. Like, there's definitely different sides. I'm not, like, do I think this is the best movie of the year it came out? No. Do I think it's the best like, you know, I just said the year, so I don't think I can minimize it more. Um, <laughs> but I don't think I've ever seen a movie like it that I've still come out for me and really enjoying it. I actually do really enjoy this film. Um, but like, I've started to like blend film and mu- movie together. Um, whether I don't know if it, that isn't intentional or not, but this is a film, this isn't a movie. If we're gonna like try to unblur those lines. It's not, um, it's definitely comes across as more of an artistic commentary on something that I think that they let you decide on what that is. I just, this, the reason why I really like this movie and it's going to sound weird is it because it made me feel uncomfortable in a way a movie never has. It made me feel like weird. And there was a moment that I can trace back. I don't know. Um, like what the movie was or when, but I remember hating a movie so much. And when people would ask me why I hated it, I would say how like there were times where this character would be on the screen. I couldn't even watch it, Mm -hmm. which is when I then realized that the movie was great. And it was the actor who was great that made me hate this movie so much or this character so much. I couldn't watch the movie. And then that's kind of like when I started forming these like weird, um, fascinations with movies like that. So now, like, if I watch a movie and I, I have to go, did I really not like it? Did I really hate it? Or did I just hate <laughs> whoever's character or whatever happened to this person? And I don't, in, in this movie, like, I really, I and I can see where you don't find Colin Farrell's character um, likable. I can see that. But I really felt like what he was going through, like I could really feel like this hopelessness um to the situation and like this weird and like how it was like self-imposed because he like formed this relationship with this kid who he clearly felt guilty about killing his father right. like which also right. lends me to believe that he was guilty of it because he's giving him watches first i thought it was like a weird 
unfortunately was, pedophilic relationship yeah, and i know luckily that cleared up pretty quickly <laughs> but uh, it definitely come came across not as a mentor thing but a more of a guilty conscience yeah. thing yeah and honestly he's a surgeon he's done so many surgeries he would have had to do this with every child of a patient he's lost right and he hasn't done that before so clearly he has extra yeah. guilt about something yeah, and I, I do believe that he is the reason Martin's father died. Because, yes, he has clearly has at least guilt about it. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't probably be doing what he is doing. Uh, and I think part of the reason I understand to a degree the, the decision to make the dialogue in the beginning very stilted, very cold, very just matter of fact. Yeah. Like not a lot of... Um, like not a lot of like flair put in how they're talking. Very just like stilted almost the problem with that for me was that it made me hard for me to connect or be or, yeah. or to like colin yeah. farrell's character <laughs> so that's why you said like did you feel a little bad for yeah. him i'm like well no because i never really liked him because i i he felt very cold and calculated mm. until he then was like a jerk because he's freaking out about right. things you know so it's very hard to feel sympathetic for that character in the, in that situation and i would like to point out I said parts of this movie I really enjoyed. I think there's some really great aspects to it. I think it's a movie worth watching for sure. I, and I try not to get caught up in the why. Yeah. But like you shot your kid. Where's his body? What happened next? I, now you're just going out to the diner and eating presumably a while later because everyone else is recovered. So what happened? Your kid just disappeared and no one asked anything? That's. I mean, yes. That He is also a doctor. Uh-huh. So I I would believe he has ways of of faking, uh, faking his, his son's and being like, death. Oh. <laughs> no, but, right. So then why not like poison them? Well, he was poisoning them, not him, but <laughs> Martin was right. But I'm saying like put poison in three cups. Yes. Everyone drinks one cup. Boom. Done. Could he have picked a, way a better way? He could have picked a million better ways to do it. One hundred percent. But this was not right. a sane person making a decision. This was a crazy man was driven crazy and thought <laughs> spinning around in circles with a shotgun was a smart idea. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I think that's the thing like that. Like, I understand like he, the idea of he's like, lit he's losing his grip on things, Yeah, but that is just so crazy, dumb, crazy people it's do crazy so things, but, it, but it's, <laughs> it's too dumb. It's too dumb for me yeah. to buy into. That's okay. You don't have to buy into it. I get. I understand where you're coming from. I do. I just. I was okay with it. <laughs> Plus, my boy Atreus ain't going down like that. Forget that. Well, he did. Well, I mean, he his, did. His, his actual dad <laughs> is gonna be coming in. Boom. Yeah. So, but yeah, I over. Like I said, overall, I think it's worth a watch. Like I, I don't think it's a bad movie by any means. Um, it is interesting because I, like I said, I read some reviews and I read some of the user reviews on IMDb. And people were like, this is like the best movie ever made. I'm like, do we watch the Like, it's good. I mean, best movie ever made good? I don't know about that. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad you watched it. And I'm sorry that you watched it. No, I, like I said. Well, I think that I, covers both I, of your feelings. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> I appreciate the push to watch things like this that I wouldn't normally watch. because, And I will say, you know, this movie, because the reason I had never watched it is it usually ends up on like horror movie lists. Yeah. And and this, I mean, there's like one scene that you're like kind of like, Ugh, but that's it. I'm gonna do. You, and it wasn't even that bad. I'm gonna do you a huge favor. Uh -huh. Never watch the movie Climax. Never. Just don't ever do it. And I can say I've lived through that horror 
and you don't have to. Uh, it might seem appealing. It might seem interesting. Don't ever watch it. Unless you want me to assign it to his homework. <laughs> empty school building to rehearse on a wintry night. Is it this one? Yeah, with Sophia oh, Batella or Batella. Oh, it's a ga- oh, it's Gasper Noe. Okay. Yeah, it's it's Gasper. Yeah. And uh I yeah. didn't know that when I started watching it. It's also listed as horror. Um I was gonna say something very crude, but we're still a family podcast. <laughs> we still are a family podcast. Uh yeah, yeah uh, I watched that. For the for a decade of horror podcast, and um, I wouldn't wish that movie on my worst enemy. So worst enemy, okay. if you're listening, don't even don't watch <laughs> climax. Oh goodness gracious! Have you have you seen any of his other movies? Um, no, and I never will now. <laughs> okay, okay. Never, I never will. What else did he do? I knew this. I looked it up before. Uh, Love, I think, is probably his most notable movie. Yeah. Would it be my guess? I looked up some of his movies after to make sure I didn't accidentally watch them, but then I completely forgot all of them, so it could have easily happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll say like the description doesn't sound too scary, but apparently it's very sc- not good, is what you're saying. It's not scary at all, but it's terrible. <laughs> On top of oh, it's not. Oh, it's not scary. It's just bad. It's just one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen a lot of bad movies, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. Okay, so it's not scary, is what you're saying? No. Um, there are parts that they want you to think it's scary, uh-huh. but it is not. It is so bad. bad. <laughs> Even it is so bad. <laughs> do, uh, without looking, unless you already have, do you know what is it's uh it's ranking on Ugh, uh, IMDb? I can only is? imagine if you're one of the people who are listening that rated this movie high. Just don't ever just t- yeah. Tell me who you are. <laughs> I I'm gonna it guess a, it's highly rated. It is a seven point one, which and the killing of a sacred deer is a seven point oh. Yeah, I would never compare the two. <laughs> just saying. Uh, just it's saying. insane to me that that is a seven point one. Maybe you should watch it. <laughs> I usually that was always when I was working at the video rental store, and I I had to decide. What movies were coming out that week, and what I need to watch to be able to uh, be able to effectively talk with customers? IMDb's seven point that was like the number. If it was a seven or higher, I would typically at least attempt to watch it so I could give some sort of feedback on. Will it. you watch it and then tell me if I'm crazy? I, yeah, I can. Will you? That's fine. Is it is it a horror movie or no? no. Okay, it's not a horror movie. Okay, yeah. I'll, what's it? Is it streaming on? Something? I think it's on Amazon. Okay. Yeah, I'll watch it and I'll let you know. <laughs> Good. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, I guess I would only ask my best of friends to do it, and my and I would never let my worst of enemies watch it. <laughs> so taking back what you I said need, before, I need someone to ver- validate me. I guess so. Okay. I I trust well, you to validate me. Okay. Well, maybe next week then we'll have. Oh, a little I can't wait. The podcast I'm so excited. <laughs> Clive Max from Casper Noe. Uh, so thanks for listening. If you stuck around, uh, there's not really going to be an outro because the show is over, but we appreciate it. Uh, have a good week, everyone. Bye. Later.